Just gone nine minutes after eight o'clock. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome to the show, The MJC Speaks, where uh, we give a voice to the advocacy work and the research of the Muslim Judicial Council. Uh, tonight we have a special focus on the uh, Muslim Marriage Bill. Uh, we know that's been a hard nut to crack for our uh, activists, uh, our ulama, our legal uh, experts, and uh, just ge- the general public because uh, the matter is now being played out in the courts. Uh, and tonight we want to try and understand what exactly uh, this is all about. So just to give you some context, as we know, uh, the Women's Legal Center has taken national government to court for failing to pass legislation uh, that will give uh, Muslim um, marriages recognition. Uh, it is argued that Muslim marriages solemnized in terms of Islamic and Muslim rights has no legal recognition in South Africa. So the question we're asking tonight is how do our local ulama view this issue? Uh, uh, and that is what we are hoping to unpack in the next hour. Of course, we welcome your comments. You can WhatsApp us on 072-238-0712 or SMS-47913. Uh, joining me in the show tonight, we've got Sheikh uh, Ihsan Talib, the president of the United Ulama Council of South Africa, also an MJ, MJC EXCO member, and Sheikh Munir Abdurraouf, uh, an MJC EXCO member as well, an attorney and a lecturer at UWC's law faculty. Lots of hats to wear uh, this evening. Shukran so much for joining me, and assalamu alaikum. Yeah, so certainly, like I said in the introduction, uh, Sheikh Hassan, if you can just move the mic a little bit closer to your mouth so that you can project well. Um, Yeah, definitely, like I said earlier, you know, a very complex issue and uh, something that's been in the news Mm -hmm. lately, well, it's been in the news for a very long time, but it's sort of gained prominence now recently with this court case by uh, the uh, Women's Legal Center. So I know about two weeks ago that, uh, you know, the Women's Legal Center uh, government and interested parties, uh, they appeared before the Western Cape High Court on uh, this particular issue. So I suppose the big question here is why, if we take a step back, why have women been fighting for this legislation for so long? Um, Maybe, Sheikh, you can start with giving us the context to this case. Shukran very, very much, Tasneem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Um, I think the process obviously has been an ongoing one, as I think we call, we all can kind of um, bear testimony to and attest. Um, the Women's Legal Center, in, in, in this sense, therefore, is um, carrying on with a process which they themselves have also started uh, a bit of a while back. Um, in terms of separate um, legal action, which, which they've also uh, taken to the Constitutional Court at the time. Uh, this time around, they've obviously, as a result of that process there, uh, they've obviously come to the, uh, one of the high courts in our country. And as you've indicated, um, you know, uh, calling upon government or rather, um, you know, uh, uh, petitioning government basically to bring about legislation and a le- legislative framework. The reason for all of this, obviously, is that um, women uh, in our country uh, have been suffering um, largely as a result of the um, lack of recognition of Muslim marriages. Um, the issues that have been basically playing itself out on a kind of a day-to-day basis. Uh, the Women's Legal Center is, is one of those uh, 
uh, agencies where women would go to uh, to try and get legal redress and legal recourse. Uh, our informal judiciaries, uh, of course, as we know in our country, uh, like the Muslim Judicial Council, uh, we also render this kind of service uh, to the community and the society. Uh, but the big problem obviously arises is that uh, when these disputes uh, are brought in front of the MJC and whether it's the Jamiat or wherever we go in the country, um, these uh, disputes are, are, are kind of resolved in certain ways and awards are kind of handed down. And then um, if any of the parties are just not interested or are not very impressed with, with the ruling that had been handed down, they can just take the jacket and walk away from the process and mm. there's nothing nobody can do. So there's obviously no uh, executive authority, there's no legal uh, sort of binding nature on these uh, and there's no legal enforcement. Mm. And uh, this is obviously a critical thing uh, in order to secure justice. In fact, uh, we know that from our heritage and our kind of uh, Islamic tradition, uh, you know, the likes of uh, the second Khalif, uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala uh, when he uh, in fact appointed one of his uh, judges uh, by the name of Shurayh al-Qadi, um, he had uh, in his appointment letter um, you know, explicitly uh, uh, kind of um, uh, provided that it really doesn't matter a lot uh, that we speak about the rights of people and that we speak about how the Sharia secures the maslaha of society and that it in its, in its essence is all about compassion and justice uh, when that's not able to be secured for people, mm. when they cannot be, uh, when they can't have access to those rights. And so that is obviously the essence of what, what laws are about, that people are able, and, and rights are about, people are actually able to enjoy them. And so it is, it is for this kind of reason, obviously, that uh, this process has, has, has kind of uh, advanced uh, with the hope and the idea that there would be some kind of recognition of Muslim marriages secured. Mm. And uh, the way in which they're going about doing that is obviously by um, kind of petitioning government uh, to be able to say that, look, um, you've been negligent uh, to not bring about a legal uh, sort of framework and a legal sort of process of legislation and that you are by constitution obliged to do so. Mm. Am I correct in saying that that UXA or rather the MJC was submitted as a friend of the court and also made submissions? in that regard? That is correct, yes. Obviously, mm. we've, we've uh, admitted ourselves and uh, has been accepted as, as friends of the court. And the importance of all of this is that, uh, you know, we made the point also in our, uh, some of our discussions that um, the whole idea that we are there is to obviously state our case mm. uh, in the context of how the court will be viewing and be sort of evaluating the case in front of it. Um, so we felt that it is important that we also uh, put forth Mm. Uh, the position of the United Olama Council representative of its uh, uh, constituencies uh, as to um, what we believe, our, uh, or not just what we believe, but what our position is in this particular regard. Sheikh Munir, maybe if I can bring you in here, what exactly are the contents of that submission? What, what are the uh, uh, UQSA and the MJC saying uh, in support of uh, the MMB? Yes, it's a very important question. Um, based on what Sheikh, Sheikh Hassan has basically stated now, um, from a Muslim point of view, right, we should have enforceability. In terms of South African law, um, we're looking at from a constitutional uh, di um, dimension, right, you have a right to equality. Mm. And um, the question is that it's been posed in, here in the court in the, during the, 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 the presentations was that the 
So African citizens have the right to get married in terms of the Marriage Act, right? Even Muslims, mm. right? The gays and lesbians, they can get married in terms of the Civil Union Act. Um, the local people of Africa, the African culture, they can get married in terms of the recognition of customary marriages act. Yes. Right. And all of these pieces of legislation, they were contested mm. right, by many um, during that time period. However, pieces of law was enacted. Now, the question that is then posed, why is government then not enacting legislation that recognizes Muslim marriages? So this is basically the type of arguments that are put forth. Why are we putting, being sidelined? Why are we being discriminated against? Mm. Is there something wrong with Muslims in South Africa? And um, therefore, we are stating that um, if you have not done your work, the court must then um, hand down an order stating that government has not done as is required. Just to take a step back, um, my understanding is that um, uh, you know advocates for Mus- uh, Muslim marriages have said that why can't government uh, put the recognition of Muslim marriages under the uh, Customary Marriages Act? Um, uh, p- can you elaborate a bit further on that? Yeah, obviously, if you look at it, um, the recognition of Customary Marriages Act that has certain consequences, mm-hmm. right? Um, as far as divorce is concerned, how it takes place, as far as the maintenance is concerned as far as there are a number of 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 aspects or provisions within that piece of legislation that has been uh, custom made for recognition of customary marriages and uh, 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 per se so when looking at muslim uh, marriages it, it has other consequences in terms of islamic law and that is basically what is being requested by um, parties like United Ulama Council of Africa, um, that there should be legislation enacted that recognizes Islamic law, right, in, in terms of a piece of legislation known as, for example, the Muslim Marriages Act. So if there is a divorce, if there is a fight for custody, if there is a maintenance claim, if there is an application for divorce, um, it will be dealt with in terms of Islamic law. Mm. accepted Islamic law um, in an international scale. Mm. Now, um, I understand that the Human Rights Commission also presented to the court, and there was a synergy between Uxa's presentation and, and, and theirs. Um, and the presentation was significant because it spoke about government's role in the Muslim Marriage Bill. Now, from what the Women's Legal Center has told us on air, government has refused to pass the bill because it says that the, there's no consensus in the Muslim community with regards to how this bill should be enacted. Um, you know, saying that the Muslim community must get their house in order. What would your position be on that, Toshi? Um, if you were to ask that question, you can ask the same question with the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act. There was lots of controversy concerning that piece of legislation. There were many people who were opposing that piece of legislation. And the question is, why did government pass that piece of legislation? Mm. And the same question could be asked a few years back when the Civil Union Bill was having its rounds and uh, they were from religious communities that were totally against the bill. There were people who made marches and so forth. But nonetheless, there was no consensus. Mm. So even though there was no consensus, the bill, but obviously there was also a court case the, the, uh, the, 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 where the Constitutional Court gave the ultimatum mm. to government, uh, stating the following, that either you recognize these persons 
and you and you enact legislation that governs their marriages, or in if you don't do that, automatically they will be recognised as uh, and be entitled to to get married in terms of the the Marriage Act. Mm. So there must there was basically a court case that led to that, and this is something similar happening now with the Women's Legal Centre case. Mm. But generally, to answer your question, there, there was no consensus in in many of these bills. Just mm. speak to the Human Rights Commission submission though. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, if you look at what UXA has stated, it's, mm. it's looking at the position of females. Mm. All right. So if a female wanted to um, divorce her husband, for example, um, at times it is a bit difficult for her to go to these different institutions, uh, personalities, and so forth. But if you look at the Muslim Marriages Bill, the current bill of 2010, uh, it is basically... Uh, more friendly upon women uh, as far as the application procedure is concerned, the grounds for divorce, the grounds for application, uh, uh, for maintenance and custody and so forth. So uh, it is basically giving the women in South Africa or the Muslim women in South Africa their due right as citizens of this country. And when this was put forward, Put uh, by uh, by UXA, um, the obviously the the all other role players that are for human rights um, agreed with that. Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, try to unpack a little bit more on the Muslim marriage bill. Our two guests in studio, Sheikh Munir Abdurraouf and Sheikh Ihsan Talib. Stay tuned. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. 24 minutes after 8, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the show. It's MJ Speaks tonight until uh, 9 o'clock. And uh, we're trying to get to grips with the uh, ulama's position, the United Ulama's position on uh, the Muslim marriage bill. Of course, we saw a 10-year law reform process and uh, now the request to recognize Muslim marriages being heard at the Western Cape High Court. And uh, recently, the court hearing arguments from the state, the Women's Legal Center, and other interested parties on whether uh, the failure to recognize Muslim marriages discriminates against women or not. Of course, uh, we are taking your comments. Oh, two, um, sorry, 47913, that's the SMS line, and uh, WhatsApp 072238 We want to hear from you on this very important topic. Um, now, uh, Sheikh Munid, if I can come back to you, um, there are many opposing parties on this case. I think there are about 20, 20-something interested uh, parties, uh, one of them being the uh, Association of Muslim Women of South Africa and, of course, uh, the United Ulama Council of South Africa, the other <laughs> Uksa, known as the fake Uksa, if I can put it that way. Um, they are saying that uh, this bill is unconstitutional and that it goes against the Sharia. Why are they making those claims? Well, if you look at that claim is unconstitutional, the bill is unconstitutional. What is being requested is to enforce your constitutional right to be treated equally by mm. having um, laws enacted. Um, the one question, basically, that um, one, 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 one issue that could basically be problematic is basically putting it subject to the constitution. Mm. Right? That is uh, that's a reality. Yeah. But uh, the current status is that everything that we are subject to as Muslims in South Africa is also subject to the Constitution. Mm. 
right? Um, in the recent case that we referred to earlier on in the Western Cape High Court, mm. um, there was a Sharia-compliant will drafted by the Muslim Judicial Council, right? In the judgment, it states that. But nonetheless, when they interpret the will, and a, a few of the beneficiaries, they then uh, renounced their rights. Um, then there was an interpretation issue. Mm. of that very piece of legislation. But it was interpreted in terms of existing South African law. Again, yeah. Yeah. right? So what happened was that um, it was in terms of the Wills Act, and uh, then again it was challenged on constitutional basis, right? stating that you recognize a person who is married, or one of the surviving spouses or the widows was married in terms of the Marriage Act, but you do not recognize the, the widow who was married in terms of the Islamic law. All right, so they also they're challenging the existing MGC certificate, right? Not not necessarily the certificate, but the application or interpretation of subsequent to renunciation of, of rights. So saying that uh, if the bill becomes an act, it will be co- challenged on constitutional grounds. Even if the bill does not become an act, we are already challenging many of our rights unconstitutional basis. So the situation won't really change. But however, if the bill becomes an act, it will definitely make the current position, right? It will be better than the current position because it will be in Islamic law that is enacted, right? Mm-hmm. Not Islamic law that has been, uh, 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 has come into effect as a result of changing existing South African law. Mm. And those are, uh, uh, my opinion is that all of those court cases that have gone to court, like the Daniels versus Edros, like the Hassam versus Jacobs, mm. right? Even the current, no, not the current case, that is where it co- coincided where the Islamic law position and the South African law position is the same. Uh, but there are many cases where the decision handed down by the court was in terms of South African law principles and not necessarily in terms of Islamic law. In terms of the Muslim Marriages Bill, you will see that the, that, 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 that the orders would have been much, much more different. Mm. Um, Sheikh Hassan, you want to weigh in here. Why is there this perception, though, that uh, the ulama from <coughs> up north are very uh, opposed to this bill? Is, uh, is there a, a lack of cons- Can we say there is a lack of consensus or differences of opinion on this matter? Yeah, no, look, uh, firstly, I think the... Uh, j- j- just for some technicality, obviously this, this particular case that, that, that we are just in the light or in the wake thereof, having mm. this discussion, um, by the way, has, has no relevance in terms of the proceedings of the case to the Muslim Marriages Bill. Mm. Um, it was obviously a case where government was being challenged in terms of not fulfilling its responsibility yeah. and obligation to pass legislation. Yeah. And government having obviously in the processes that have gone over the few years, uh, dragged its feet and now kind of almost like dug its uh, heels into the ground and mm. said they're not going forward. And so, obviously, from <coughs> the United Ulama Council's perspective, we are saying that, no, that we are opposing that because, um, uh, or rather that we are supporting that motion, that, 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 that motion that government should bring a legislative framework in place. Because, number one, 
Um, the United Ulama Council of South Africa is representative of the vast majority of the ulama formations in our country. Mm. Um, uh, of all the ulama formations in our country, the informal judiciary bodies across the country, um, uh, there is one member among its constituency, uh, namely the United Ulama, or rather the Jamit, sorry, the Jamit Ulama Kwazulu Natal, uh, who incidentally have also been amicus at the Cape High Court as a position that they wanted to take in opposition to the um, uh, the Muslim marriages bill, stating their case in that particular regard, alongside uh, the majlis, etc. But uh, the vast majority of the ulama formations in our country are in support of this process. The reason being, as Sheikh Munir had indicated, is that this um, uh, development and the accumulation of case law uh, is happening in a very erratic way. It's happening in a chaotic manner, mm. uh, whereby uh, the rest of us are uh, based on our obviously um, you know as, as citizens uh, in this country if we should end up in front of the courts um, then those judgments that have been handed down uh, will serve as precedent and we will all be bound by them mm. and as Sheikh Munir had indicated those uh, judgments obviously have been arrived at in light of South African pieces of legislation or pieces of South African legislation yeah. and uh, whilst those women in those um, uh, circumstances they have managed to access some kind of redress uh, the awards were in, um, to a large degree in contravention of the Sharia mm. so that is already happening mm. all so the time it's already happening so in other words you're saying that this piecemeal approach is not sustainable it's not working at all because if we should have a viable framework of legislation that is going to ensure that the bulk of our laws will then be uh, covered in accordance with uh, the Sharia uh, uh, that there would be possibly uh, you know constitutional challenge to something is plausible is this possible possibility for that but the problem is is that we are already sitting in a scenario where the uh, 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 the laws of the Sharia are already being subjected mm. to the laws of the country mm. so we are saying that had the the judges had the the benefit of a legal framework such as the Muslim Marriages Bill which could then become a Muslim Marriages Act they would have had a framework within which to actually hand down uh, their judgments as opposed to having solely to rely on uh, pieces of South African legislation. Sheikh, are you then, in essence, are you saying that the, the current system or the current processes within our Islamic judicial bodies are not actually effective? Are you conceding that there are problems in, in, in sort of um, uh, regulating these kind of issues, you know, when it comes to divorce and inheritance and, and that sort of thing. But precisely that is the very essence that we started out with to say that these judicial, informal judiciaries have no legal authority. Uh, in our Sharia, we have this notion of uh, that Sina Umar had referenced the Sultan Tanfidiyah, so it's the executive authority which allows a award that is being handed down by a judicial sort of organ or the judiciary to become binding and uh, in the absence whereof there's very uh, uh, physical and very specific punitive uh, kind of consequences to that yeah um, yeah let's speak a little bit more about this you know this piecemeal approach as the women's legal center put it you know saying that um, the Sharia 
this this argument that the Sharia is being violated because there's no regulatory framework um, in place, that the Sharia is, be, is being undermined. Perhaps your comments on that, um, Sheikh Malir? Yes, definitely. Um, if, if you look at the t- two cases I referred to earlier on, the, the Daniels versus Campbell, both to do with inheritance and even the, 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 the case of last week in the Western Cape High Court, or a few days back in the Western Cape High Court, all to do with successional matters. Had there been pieces of legislation that governed the Islamic law of succession and administration of deceased state in terms of Islamic law, there would have been no need for large sums of money to be spent or hours in court in order to enforce rights. And at the end of the day, when the judgments were handed down, it was in terms of existing South African law. For example, the, the, the Daniels versus Campbell. Mm. Right, the person passes away, leaves behind a surviving spouse, uh, the surviving spouse has no recourse in terms of any South African law legislation. Anything. All right. Because he's not recognized as a surviving spouse in terms of the Interstate <coughs> Succession Act or his spouse. So she challenges that and says, look, you're right, this piece of legislation is unconstitutional because you're not recognizing me as a, a spouse. Mm. Right. Thereafter, they say, yes, actually, it's right. We have to treat you all equal. Um, it's unconstitutional. Equality provisions have been infringed. And therefore, we will read in. And now we will also include you to be one of the beneficiaries as a spouse, surviving spouse, in terms of the Interstate Succession Act. Right. Or survivor. So, in that instance, the relief was awarded. However, it wasn't awarded in terms of Surah Al-Nisa, uh, Ayah number 11 or Ayah number 12 more specifically. Right, that says now if you pass away and you leave behind a surviving spouse, then she will inherit one-eighth. Uh, 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 if there are children, there are no children, uh, she can inherit a quarter. It was in terms of the Interstate Succession Act of 1987. Right, so the mere fact that we are giving now, we have changed, we have violated the Sharia by mm-hmm. now granting or taking of the rights of others. They say the Quran says the children should inherit so much, the parents should inherit so much. The Interstate Succession Act says, uh, provides, if there is a surviving spouse and the estate is worth less than 250,000 rand, there's nothing for the children. Mm. Uh, they have a, a, a claim for maintenance, yes, but not, no inheritance. They, there's nothing for the parents. Even though if you read the Quran, and the Quran is very specific and says that uh, there's punishment <laughs> if you don't do this. We are violating the Sharia. That court judgment violated the Sharia. We are saying that the parliament must enact legislation that governs basically how, for example, the deceased estate might be distributed. So it's a very tricky balance then. In fact, uh, if one considers again, just coming back to this whole idea of the framework, uh, you know, when uh, we in the uh, process of 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 um, uh, uh, public participation and submitting on the uh, South African Law Commission's uh, bill that it had uh, first circulated, um, obviously from the ulama, United Ulama perspective, um, you know, we we then found that there were certain sort of very unique. Sharia kind of features which which were absent from the bill. Uh, for example, in the Holy Quran, the, the notion of mediation, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when there is a fear of a breakdown of the marital tie, then send a delegate from uh, the family of the wife and send mm. a delegate from the family of the husband so that they may go and actually mediate between the two parties. So um, uh, this is something which um, we've, we've uh, inserted uh, as, as contributions into the bill. 
which will allow a couple who is marriage is in trouble uh, to then undergo what we are referring to from an Islamic law perspective as a almost compulsory mediation process and that that particular process obviously if given the due um, you know uh, procedures to to unfold and 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 the mechanisms to to allow a resolution of of the disputes uh, and then thereafter possibly as well we were referencing the notion of uh, uh, voluntary arbitration that could also take place mm. uh, the projection in and around that would be is that uh, there'll be a small amount of um, cases that will eventually land up in the court. Uh, all these disputes will in fact be um, resolved in, in internal to our community structures. Mm. Obviously it would mean that the informal judiciaries uh, uh, that are currently operating at certain sort of perhaps capacities etc. would have to in cap uh, to capacitate themselves to levels that will also allow a certain measure of confidence uh, from the side of the, the judiciary in terms of the processes and 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 but but those are all things that that can be done and those are all things that are in place also as we speak uh, but that's not to say there isn't a room for improvement the point would be is that those um, mechanisms would then allow for the uh, disputes between parties to be resolved uh, uh, within the community without you know a large part of these things eventually landing up in court at the moment in order for um, women really to and, and it's obviously the uh, most of these cases if not all women trying to access their wealth they have to go to court mm. and uh, again as we have said these are highly expensive uh, processes for people to eventually come and access their, their rights. I see there are a few messages that have come through, rather questions, which I think we'll rather take at the end of the show and hopefully our uh, ulama or our shayuk can uh, answer some of those questions. For now, we're going to take an ad break and when we come back, we'll sink our teeth even more into the Muslim marriage ball. Don't go away. The Voice of the Cape, celebrating, bringing you 22 years of community broadcasting my radio station your radio station our radio station the voice of the cape 91.3 fm serial 8.42 and welcome back to the show. Of course, we're talking about uh, the Muslim marriage bill uh, and the fact that uh, advocates for the bill are saying that uh, it's moving too slowly uh, and that women are being disadvantaged. Um, I actually attended a workshop at the weekend uh, and the attorneys there spoke of uh, the conditions that many women find themselves in, you know, post-divorce or after death. Um, uh, women being kicked out of their homes and left with no access to property, uh, to money and resources in the event of a divorce or death. So um, the, uh, there was a lot of passion from the advocates speaking, uh, or for the activists rather, speaking about the necessity of the urgency of uh, this bill or this legal framework being passed. Uh, yeah, so please do SMS us 47913 and uh, WhatsApp 072238-0712 if you want to interact or comment on this particular issue. Um, yeah, perhaps we can go back to you, Sheikh Munir, in terms of of um, just speaking a bit more about how, <laughs> let's just say, let's just speak about the UXA and the MJC. Does it believe in, uh, does it support the codification of, of uh, Muslim personal law? Yes, um, the question basically, the answer to the question is, is a definite yes. <laughs> um, the Muslim Marriages Bill has been coming on for quite a time. 
and is currently also spearheaded by the United Olama Council of South Africa. The the bill has gone through various drafts, right? Uh, it spoke about, as Sheikh Ihsan has mentioned, the um, compulsory mediation, the um, optional arbitration, and then adjudication thereof, um, and the, position, the, the provisions therein, it has been looked at in terms of um, constitutional challenges even, and then certain things were changed in, within the framework of existing Islamic law around that is internationally accepted, uh, as followed in countries like Egypt and Syria and um, opinions within like uh, Madahib of the Maliki, Madhab and so forth. Right, so it has gone through a, a, a process by qualified ulama and um, the mere fact that, that they have done that and the United Ulama Council being uh, the an organization that represents the majority of the Muslims in South Africa and they are supporting this bill, I would say then it could be then definitely be said that the Muslims in South Africa are supporting this piece of legislation and also wanting enactment of legislation in order for us to enforce our rights. Mm. Not only to have a right that is not enforceable, because a right without any remedy is, is basically not worth the paper that is written on. Mm. Are you able to speak to international examples uh, or models of success where this was uh, successfully implemented? Yeah, many, many Islamic countries like Egypt they have uh, uh, laws that govern their, 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 their Muslim personal law codes. Um, Syria has, has laws that govern the Muslim personal law codes. Um, even if you look at, at Indonesia, they have uh, a Sharia courts. If you look at uh, Singapore, they have uh, a Sharia courts. Um, so it, it's something that is well, it, it's practiced around the world. Mm. Even in these countries um, where this constitutional challenge comes up, they are uh, even uh, at times uh, um, signatories to something referred to as CEDO, this International Con Convention that speaks specifically about discrimination against women. And then uh, the, these countries, they enact legislation, they have their rules and laws, and they said, look, you're right, that we also agree with that, subject to the Sharia. Right? So they say, look, you're right, that we, we're basically signing this piece of legislation, but subject to being um, compatible within the Sharia framework. Um, so it is definitely happening within uh, right around the world as far as uh, uh, codification is concerned. Sheikh Hassan can even elaborate more on that. Mm. Uh, it's it's actually quite uh, uh, telling that um, you know across the the Muslim world, uh, obviously legislation has has occurred, mm. um, codification of the Islamic law uh, specific to the context of that society has occurred, and so. Uh, it is important for us to, to understand that, you know, there's sometimes these misnomers that are thrown around, yeah. uh, which are really actually uh, fallacies uh, that, uh, you know, this one or that one wants to change the Qur'an. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of thinking that anybody could change the Qur'an is, is, is really quite serious and could actually amount to a certain amount of blasphemy. Because uh, Allah Ta'ala in, in the Holy Qur'an himself guarantees that that cannot happen. And so when one speaks of the, um, you know, the processes of Islamic law, uh, you, you, you start with the sources, which is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And, and that is what is strictly referred to as the Sharia. But then you talk to, obviously, the process of interpretation of that Sharia, mm. uh, which our founding jurists, like the four uh, uh, Madahib, for example, the founders of the four Madahib have done, and they formulated the schools of thought, which is a human endeavor of interpretation of the sacred texts. Yeah. So the sacred texts would not change, but 
the interpretations, as we know, uh, may be varied yes. and different. But uh, that's not where it stops uh, either. So, you know, at the Al-Azhar University, for example, and the many of universities in the, in, the, in the Muslim world, you'll find that they have, um, unlike in Saudi Arabia where Sheikh Munir and I had studied, you'll find that the, um, uh, the, 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 the faculties of law uh, referred to themselves as the faculty of Sharia and Qanun, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, that is specifically, n now, those two words, if they used in a phrase like that, obviously they mean two different things. So it's uh, the faculty of Sharia and, on the other hand, legislation. Yeah. You understand? So the, the process uh, of legislation is then still yet a third sphere of uh, development uh, of Islamic law after interpretation yes and that sphere of development is contextualized by the urf, the customs and the ada of a given locality yes and that is what is known as uh, your taqneen or your uh, codification and in a more general sense in our sharia it fits into the genre of uh, authorship and scholarship known as siyasa sharia siyasa sharia is about public or sharia oriented public policy so that public policy which is sharia oriented is then the basis upon which your codification takes place because it must take into very intimate consideration the context of the place in which that piece yes. of codification is now going to be applied mm. And so, therefore, obviously, I mean, it's like, you know, axiomatic, it uh, goes without saying that Muslims who are living in a non-Muslim country, we have to abide by the laws of this country, not to, we just have to abide by the laws of this country. These laws affect us in every conceivable way. Right. And so, the whole notion of the application of the rule of law is central in Islam, because if you don't have the rule of law, you actually have lawlessness and you have anarchy. Mm. And we have very... Um, uh, 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 sensitive uh, laws pertaining to the sacredness of living in spaces where the rule of law actually applies. And so I think for us also here it is critical for uh, and, and the ulama and the scholars who understand this, uh, for them it's, it's, it goes without saying that when you're talking about putting a piece of uh, legislation and codification in place um, there's no way that that means that you're changing the Qur'an because the Qur'an cannot be changed, the Sharia cannot be changed. It is its practical application within a given context which will then be dictated by what the urf and the customary practice and the uh, psychosocial, political, economic climate of that particular location is all about that will inform the final outcome of a codification process. Shukran for that uh, intense explanation. Uh, a comment here from 7250, just a rectification. It's not the court that misinterpreted Sharia inheritance law in the recent Mursak case. It was the executor of the will who opted not to follow Islamic law with regard to renunciation. Sheikh Munir, any comments on that? Yeah, he's probably reading from the case verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. But I will also make the comment earlier on that basically in terms of Islamic law and South African law, the, 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 the outcome is the same. Um, what happened here was that, um, as my understanding of the case, there was basically 
children um, of the deceased and they have all basically renounced their right. In terms of Islamic law, there's something referred to as the Kharuj, and they, they basically said that they are now gifting this or giving it now to the surviving spouses in equal shares. So Islamically, it was okay. So the executor basically just very um, cleverly um, did that by making use of this piece of legislation. However, in other contexts, it might be more problematic um, if in the event the uh, children would decide then also then to renounce their rights, but they want actually someone else to inherit. That, that piece of legislation, that section of the World's Act wouldn't allow for something like that. And therefore, it, there is a need actually to have pieces of legislation that is interpreted and the consequences thereof would be in terms of Islamic law, but not as in terms of existing South African law principles, which are not at times, uh, at times, yes, it'd be the same outcome, but at other times it would not be, based yeah. on the set, um, given set of facts. Well, we're going to have to break quickly for ads. Uh, it is uh, 8.52, and when we come back, uh, we'll look at the, uh, discuss uh, the last uh, few points of this particular show. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Six minutes to go before nine o'clock and uh, time is definitely not on our side this evening. Uh, trying to digest the Muslim marriage bill uh, with my guest Sheikh uh, Ihsan Talib as well as Sheikh Munir Abdurraouf. And uh, a question has come through on the uh, WhatsApp line. When there is deference, both parties can't go to the Imam or Islamic courts. How can some non-Muslims mediate to, on the Muslim personal law? Sheikh Munir, perhaps... Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, the, the issue of, of, of non-Muslim adjudication, um, uh, again, if one, for example, looks at the processes of the Muslim Marriages Bill, uh, as the United Ulama Council of South Africa, what we've done was we've submitted uh, provisions uh, for uh, one of two things, um, is that there should be uh, a Muslim judge uh, and or Muslim assessors, experts that will be guiding the judge. And so if there isn't a Muslim judge, then there will be assessors, experts uh, that will also be obviously be in the uh, sort of support of, of the court in, in those kinds of particular cases. Mm. So. Um, that that is a particular uh, matter that obviously is is still subject to uh, the process of acceptance and and is it something that will pass is it something that will so so I think just from a relevance perspective those are the kind of references in the Muslim marriages bill that that I think the question refers to mm. um, the idea that we have a piece Firstly, if we if we talk about mediation, um, if one obviously talks about what what we have referenced in this discussion here, we are talking about the informal judiciaries having the um, uh, uh, recognition uh, that the processes of mediation uh, can be uh, resorted to for women and couples to be able to come to some in a, in line with with the Quranic injunction that a delegation from her side, delegation from his side, come together and they try to resolve the matter. Mm. We believe believe that these are the kind of mechanisms that will bring about a solution for the bulk of cases because also uh, the disputes that most of the time 
the couples are basically saddled with are the disputes of facts, right? The disputes of etc. And so yeah. those kinds of things through mediation, normally reasonable processes will bring solutions to that. Mm. And so that obviously is something that can be, um, in our context, we've said the informal judiciary should be empowered to be able to take that forward in line with this um, viable piece of legislation framework. That, 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 uh, that is on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, if we had non-Muslim judges uh, who are now, um, uh, disp- and, and let's say that is now a, 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 a scenario which is an, a, 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 a matter that cannot be secured and therefore there, there isn't always going to be availability, for example, of Muslim judges. And we have then said that if there's a non-Muslim judge, there should be Muslim assessors assisting the court in that particular regard. That judge will obviously then be governed uh, by the um, piece of legislation that would hopefully have seen the light of day, that would hopefully have come into existence and that if that piece of legislation is in existence it will be the legislation which is governed by and guided by Islamic law uh, that the gov- that the judge will be uh, basically functioning under um, if we again compare that to where we are today Muslim couples Muslim marriages are being adjudicated upon by non-muslim judges as it stands yeah but in, light, in lieu of any light of uh, pieces of legislation, which is obviously nothing uh, to do with Islamic law. Mm. Do you think that, you know, if the bill is passed, would it then give enforcement rights to the Sharia courts or the MJC, for example? Well, uh, there is probably a scenario like that, but the uh, but that that comes through process obviously of mediation and arbitration that would then have to be confirmed mm. by the courts, right? Mm. And once it's confirmed by the courts, it will obviously have that executive uh, sort of power. Mm. We've got about two minutes left. I think I just want to end off perhaps um, speaking about how the MJC is going about educating its constituency, its members, with regards. To to this whole issue, Sheikh Munir, if you can perhaps comment on that. Yeah, basically, um, when the MJC has, has come in, um, we firstly try to um, empower or basically inform the the ulama, um, the imams, and the mashayikh that are members of the Muslim Judicial Council. Mm. Right. So that is basically one 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 way, as well as. But the mere fact of looking at the United Ulama Council of South Africa, we are sitting here with the President of the United Ulama Council of South Africa, so there are many other bodies that, that fall under this. And each mm-hmm. of these bodies are basically going out and trying to inform the community, more specifically the, the Mashaikh and Imams and Maulanas. And then thereafter, they, when they go back to their communities, the Masajid and so forth, they then impart this um, to their constituencies. Right. When the bill initially, right, there was various v- versions of the bill. When it came out, there was even a, a stage where the Muslim Judicial Council and the United Ulama Council went from mosque to mosque, going to the community is asking for the input and so forth and based on that they had made the submissions so there has been lots of public participation and information and education around this but 
definitely there is a need to have more of this. Mm. Um, Sheikh Hassan, maybe from your side, perhaps how the MJC is, um, you know, conscientizing or educating the broader public or mobilizing Muslims to understand this a little bit better. I know that IPSA's, uh, you know, made remarkable strides in that in terms of the symposiums that they've held. Uh, like I said, there are activists on the ground that are also doing their a little bit, um, you know, having mentioned that workshop that I attended at the weekend. Uh, but yeah, the MJC's role in terms of, you know, educating the broader public? It, it, that is uh, absolutely essential. Uh, I think, um, you know, with the uh, bit of, um, um, I think, um, um, activity that has now arisen as a result of, of, of this particular court case as well, um, you know, there has been a time when there was really a lull period. There was a mm. really a sort of a stagnant period for a, for a very long time. As Sheikh Munir had correctly, uh, you know, referred to, there, there was a lot of public um, community engagement processes previously mm. um, what what has happened uh, thereafter was that uh, there has been some very sort of uh, extreme sort of uh, you know kind of advocacy that are against the bull in the form yes. of you know takfir in the form of declarations of kufr you know of almost virtually uh, every aspect of this particular process which is very regrettable uh, and um, Unfortunately, that is the kind of, um, you know, I think uh, context as well as um, uh, sort of atmosphere uh, that also gave kind of rise to that that lull period and that and that and 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 also obviously from government side, uh, there's been a lot of um, sort of activism uh, uh, on the basis of this sort of extreme sort of rejectionist kind of mm. of approach uh, where you know it declares literally the entire process is a process of disbelief and and kufr and so i think um uh, there is a a a, a renewed uh, sense of of the need of education the need of taking this process forward yeah. uh, there is still a very clear realization that it is really a um a, an un tenable situation that we do not have a viable piece of legislation mm. uh, for Muslim marriages that will allow the courts of our country uh, to adjudicate and award uh, you know uh, um, sort of solutions uh, in disputes that would be in conformity and compliance uh, in the large part with with uh, Islamic law and the Sharia. On that note we're gonna have to leave it there it's been a very very interesting discussion I've certainly learned a lot over the past hour uh, shukran so much to our guest, Sheikh Ihsan Talib, as well as Sheikh Munir Abdurrao for their uh, great insights on this particular topic. I'd really like to propose that we pick up this topic again, perhaps next week or at a later stage if you are available mm -hmm. again, because certainly it is a lot to go through and one hour is very limiting. Um, and perhaps if we can perhaps have a, a debate at a later stage with uh, you know the various role players in this particular case. Uh, shukran so much to you, the listener, for tuning in this evening. Uh, Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.